Email fraud appearing to come from businesses in your supply chain can represent a real risk for your organization today. We call this a business email compromise. In these attacks, cyber criminals spoof or even compromise vendors or service providers in order to attack their customers and partners. Losses from business email compromise are growing. Currently, the losses are 66 times worse than what is lost to ransomware. 58% of BEC incidents result in a loss, with the average amount lost to them being $120,000. Today, I'm joined by Neil Hammett, the Director of Technical Marketing at the Office of Cybersecurity Strategy. Welcome, Neil. Thank you very much. So, Neil, let's go straight into it. What are BEC or supply chain attacks? And and can you give us some examples as well? I'm going to answer your question, and I apologize, but I'm going to kind of come at it from a slightly broader angle because I just think it will help to, to frame why these attacks are particularly dangerous and difficult. So the vast majority of attacks these days attack people, users, because we've done a really pretty good job of hardening the systems. An example of that, it's really, really difficult to gain illicit or unauthorized access to an organization's finance system as a bad actor who is remote. But it's actually depressingly straightforward to compromise the official user of that financial system within the organization and get them to transfer the money or to do whatever it is that the bad actor wishes them to do. This is represented in the figures, not just proof points, but if we look at things like the Veriton breach report and so on and so forth, we can see that the vast majority of attacks these days are what we would loosely class as phishing, attacks against the person. And these attacks do not work unless the victim doesn't realize that it's an attack, which may seem obvious, but it's a crucial point to bear in mind because that then leads us to consider, well, what makes an attack not appear to be an attack? It's when it comes from a trusted identity and you believe that it is a legitimate communication, a legitimate part of your daily business life. So, for example, to return to our finance example, if I, as a member of the finance team, receive an email either from a colleague asking me to prioritize payment to a certain supplier and perhaps providing me with updated banking details, or I receive a a nudge from an organization I know to be a close business partner, a supplier, just asking me, look, could we maybe prioritize the payment for this quarter or this financial accounting period because it would really help out? Oh, and by the way, we've actually updated our bank details, so could you please make sure to put the payment into this account? Now, in both cases, those are attacks. They're very, very common types of attacks that we see all the time. Basically, invoice fraud, but using a spoofed trusted identity, either of a a close colleague or of a supplier. And both will lead to direct financial loss to the organization. But part of the challenge here, challenge one, no unauthorized systems access has taken place. So we can't flag that. We can't see that. To the security team, nothing is wrong because only authorized people have done 
you know, uh, authorized things, have access systems that they are entitled and indeed expected to use. Also, because the, the victim, the person in the finance team, doesn't realize that they've done anything wrong, well, they're not going to report it. So often the detection part, the, the realization that we've sent money to somebody that we should not have done, takes months, if not you know, longer periods. And it's only when a, a kind of an accounting review is done and we start to see, well, hang on, we've sent out payment for this invoice twice because the first time round we sent it to you know, uh, an unrecognized account that we start to look into this. And, and by the time that we do that, often it's too late to reverse the payment or to you know, get some sort of result. And it's just written off as a loss. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm literally sitting here going, I'm glad that it's not me. That, that has done that or I would be because if it came out that it was me that had caused it and it was me that had sent you know the money to the wrong I, I'd be absolutely fuming with myself for having been I suppose in the word scammed but it's one of those isn't it it's so obviously it is quite a common thing and and it, we've come a long way from it being a Nigerian prince well and, and I think that part of the problem is almost our sort of semi-mythical Nigerian prince or the Nigerian general with you know hundreds of millions of oil wealth that because that's become part of our culture right we discuss that it's a it's a kind of a, a meme a part of popular culture where we laugh at it because it's so ridiculous that's almost made it more dangerous because when we receive an email that you know is so close to being legitimate that we never even think to question it that we just do it right yeah you know, the 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 problem with being human almost is that we are social creatures and we cooperate and collaborate and the way that we create value and drive forwards and achieve business goals is by working with other people and we do that by recognizing their identity. You know, if you were to send me an email asking me for 20 quid for the lunch we had, then it's highly likely I'd send you the 20 quid because I recognize your identity and I know who you are and yeah, we had a great lunch. If somebody completely unknown to me sent me an email, an email requesting that we settle up for a lunch that I don't really remember, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so these attacks only work because I don't recognize the attack. I am duped. I am scammed by the use of identity. And that's the crucial factor here. The thing that links all of these attacks together is the use of identity. A trusted identity is co-opted in some manner by the bad actor. Why have we seen such a, a large increase in BC and supply chain attacks? Is it, is it simply because of the fact that essentially it works and therefore why stop doing something when it's working for you? I think there are there are a number of factors in play here. One of the, the kind of things that I think we need to, to own up to is that we've been very efficient at tying access rights very closely to the actual person in locking down systems, in avoiding security vulnerabilities in their sort of gross form, which makes it much more difficult for the bad actor to achieve success in that way. Whereas the, the human factor, the, the ways in which we might trick a user, we've been much less thorough ultimately in addressing them. Now we're seeing very real progress there and that's great, but there's still quite a lot of work to do. And, you know, to your main point there, 
Bad actors are ruthlessly Darwinian. If what they're doing doesn't result in direct financial gain, they simply don't do it. And they've discovered that they can make very, very significant and very risk-free profit from BEC, from supply chain-based attacks, from invoice fraud, from redirection of goods, from initial access compromise that they then resell to other crime actors. And I guess it's also the the fact that, like you said before, it takes so long for us to realise that we've been duped and that it's happened, that by the time that we come around to doing the investigation and, and therefore you're trying to get, uh, I presume you try and get the money back, that, that would be what I would do in a personal capacity. By that point, they've, they've disappeared. You know, the account that you've sent the money to is closed. They've got that. It's all gone. There's no way of tracing them. And so it's, it's just a, a very, very almost clean way of getting away with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the ironies here is that probably the largest challenge that these bad actors face is laundering the profits. That's that's a whole different sort of subject for discussion. I mean, if you look at Parthé Cinemas, they were subject to a 20 million euro fraud a few years ago, uh, and they managed to retrieve in the hundreds of thousands. But it was a tiny, tiny drop in the ocean with regards to the absolute financial loss that they suffered. And that was uh, sent to an account, which, of course, they had the records for. But by the time everything swung into motion, and it didn't take too long for Parthay. I mean, they, they did realize that something had gone badly wrong there. But still, you know, the money was gone and you know, the money had been transferred out through a chain of cutouts, which simply meant that the, the forensic investigation stalled. So why are they so hard to stop, Neil? So I, I think the challenge is in their simplicity. You know, a highly effective BEC attack might simply be an email that appears to come from a trusted identity saying, Hi, Neil. Please give me a ring. Thanks, Dan. And then a mobile number. Now, if that identity is somebody I know, somebody I recognize, somebody I trust, then I'll call the number. Now, I won't actually get Dan on the end of the line. I'll get somebody else. Or, you know, the the email itself might be asking me to call, and this is a common one, somebody from a consulting company to go through a new acquisition. That was the case with Parfait. You know, it was an initial email from the CEO of the, the French parent to the CEO of the, the Dutch subsidiary, asking her to work with outside counsel to go through a purchase of a new company, which, of course, involved sending large sums of money to an account, in this case, in Dubai. But that's the challenge, because that type of email the request or instruction for help from a trusted third party, of course, could be legitimate. And the most dangerous of these attacks are, you know, on the surface, identical to a genuine business communication, which, of course, we can't block based upon just recognising the, the type of communication, if you see what I mean. I was going to say, because it must be a case that the email address, is it essentially that so in, in the case of Parthay, it must have basically just looked like it was exactly from the right place. Not getting too technical here, but the assumption, and it's a really, really reasonable assumption that almost everyone has with regards to email, is that there will be something built in to ensure that only authorised parties can send email from a domain. Mm. 
that would be reasonable, right? That would be how you would design it if you were starting off to create email today. Yeah. Unfortunately, email was created 40-odd years ago by a group of researchers and scientists to essentially communicate on what was pretty much an internal system at that point. And nobody had any concerns about security. But nobody had any idea, of course, that email was going to turn into the predominant communication channel that you know, used by business and, and consumers. So there is no control. There is no check. There is no enforcement of identity in email by default. Now, what happened to Parfait was a direct consequence of that that reality 7.1 in the smtp rfc for the nerds out there now the good news is that this is not something that you have to accept this is a situation that you can change there is a protocol called dmark it is a a standard that is based upon other open standards and it resolves that deficiency that structural weakness within email if Parfait had had DMARC deployed fully at the time that the bad actor launched that attack, it simply couldn't have worked, not in the way that we know it did at this point. So some good news there, and DMARC deployment rates, DMARC adoption rates globally are going up and up, but there is still quite a lot of work to be done there. I guess it all comes back to that thing of we've been educating ourselves for 20, 30 years now about not using the same password for every account that you have and things. We're essentially having to go through that same process of education, I'm I'm presuming now, with this particular protection for our emails. Yeah, I think so. And we also need to do a a lot of things at the same time, (laughs) almost. So it's really crucial these days to have a structured program of employee kind of training, security awareness, education, and so forth. That needs to be done in lockstep with a defined strategy to remove whatever weaknesses which can be removed from your communications and to be honest about those which cannot. You know, a security awareness training pain that doesn't acknowledge in the absence of DMARC that your main sending identity is frankly open to anyone who wants to use it is actually just going to be making you more vulnerable to attack. Whereas if you have a a sort of an infrastructure and authentication approach in lockstep with your awareness training, then that's going to put you in a very much more secure position with regards to facing down external threats. So apart from what what you've mentioned there, and obviously in the case of the Parfait example, picking up the phone and saying, did you send this to me? Is there anything else that we can be doing to protect ourselves? <laughs> so I, I would qualify the, the picking up the phone thing, just, a, just an observation based upon quite a lot of experience here. Don't phone the number in the email. 
<laughs> which may sound like an obvious thing, but go, go find the number through a different source that you trust. But otherwise, that's really good advice. But I, I think you know, these scenarios, these situations, they're always quite complex. There's an awful lot of things that we need to be doing, that we need to be paying attention to. And often that's really confusing. You know, I know that Proofpoint have things like maturity models, and we have our resident CISOs who are always there to speak to people and to assess where they are and against where maybe they they need to be uh, and to help them with planning that route you know and what the prioritization should be uh, in order to ensure that they get there having accounted for the biggest challenges at the right time but you know speaking more broadly there's an awful lot we can do but it needs to be done I think, without a company's maybe natural tendency to silo these things. If someone's working on authentication, then the person working on training needs to be aware of that and vice versa. Somebody with a more strategic view of where the company is going needs to have a a broad overview of all of these different initiatives. And it, it will advantage any organization significantly to be doing these things in a joined up fashion. Brilliant. Thanks so much for joining me, Neil. It's been a pleasure having you on. And I'm sure we'll have all taken a lot away from what you've said. But I mean, essentially, the important thing is, is to go out there and be aware of the fact that BEC does happen, it does exist, and that there are ways that we can better protect ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah, this is not an insoluble problem. And it is something that with with goodwill and a, a desire to improve the situation, we absolutely can. You've been listening to Good Isn't Good Enough, a podcast about email security powered by Proofpoint. For more information, check out the links in the podcast description or go to proofpoint.com.